My name is Mark Riddle and I am the full-time coxswain at Torbay Lifeboat Station. So I joined the RLI in 1988. Um, I did that because my nan lived just along the road here from the station. When the Maroons used to go off, I used to run to the door and then see the cars come around the corner and there was a really hairpin corner by a little shipyard called Uphams. And I just thought that was the most exciting thing in the world. And then I'd run down to the corner of the shipyard and there was a place you could look through the gap in the in the shipyard and then you could see the boat go out through the fairway. And I kept saying to myself, when I'm old enough, when I'm old enough, when I'm old enough, I'll do that. And when I became old enough, I did it. So Arthur was the first coxswain that I started with. And, and to be honest, what Arthur used to do, which I didn't know when, you, when you're kind of 18, 19 years old, when you wanted to join the lifeboat, you had, you, you, your induction was not on the lifeboat, it was on his tugboat. So you, know, you were given a chipping hammer and you went out and knocked all the rust off, um, no payment involved. And 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 you'd do anything because he was like you know he was like God. It was a cox and God blimey. He told me to go and chip an hammer and no knock rust off his tongue. I thought it was great, and it was a, I think it was a bit of a test. He, he used that as a test to see whether you would actually do that. And almost you were vol you are volunteering to some degree. You didn't really know that, and then you went out and did some stuff on the tug. And then he I think he was like eyeing you up, where, you know whether you get sick or whether you get good on the water on the boat and stuff. It, it fell into place with with him being the coxswain, and then he, he let me join as such. And then I became deputy second coxswain and stuff. So it, yeah, it was it was um, it was interesting times. I, I mean, I enjoyed being the volunteer. I was volunteer for five years, so I, you know I didn't become full time until ninety three. Um, but what full-time was then, it, it isn't what it is now. So full-time then was four hours a day um, and you were paid a couple hundred quid and you were meant to have a secondary income. So everybody who was a full-time mechanic, there weren't, there weren't full-time coxswains then, there was only ever full-time mechanics. Um, and I was the youngest mechanic in the country at the time, I was only 23. I remember my first shout when I was a volunteer because we didn't get the number of shouts we get now. We A busy year for us in, in, in the sort of late 80s would have been sort of 16, 17 shouts with the all-weather boat. I don't remember what the little boat would have been, but it wasn't many. Um, but as a, as a junior crew, you never got picked. The, you know, the, and there was no pages. So there was only there was only there was no pages when I joined. Just after I joined, there was like three. So it was only like the onset coxswain and the mechanic had one, and then it was the job of the wives on the crew list to ring the next person below you on the crew list. So when you're at the bottom of the crew list, the boat had already come back by the time somebody had rung me, unless you had heard the maroons go off. And then one night, two o'clock in the morning. Usual thing, somebody drunk, jumping off paint and pier, used to be a common thing, all the lads coming out of the clubs and that. Um, and we went across, and I got. I actually went down there at two in the morning, normally I had to drop the gear out the roof, you used to share your gear, so you drop uh, uh, it hanging up in the roof, in the rafters of the boathouse, drop back down, pull in the boarding boat, put the maroons off, that was as much as you got involved. 
And then I did all that, pulled the boat in, he went, right, get a set of gear, and he took me. And I was like, this is probably a year in to, to being on the crew. And I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. It was like, he's, he's picked me, I can't believe it. it and off we went, yeah. Everybody knew it was that kind of job. It was, and they, most of the time, no one was ever there because it was just lads messing around. They're jumping off a pier or off Torquay. You get over there, start searching for somebody who's gone up the road and they've all had a laugh and gone. And this one happened to be genuine, um, you know, naked, uh, in the middle of winter. But I got I a feeling it was around February time. Um, extremely cold. And he was just going under for you know, his last breath. And me and John Ashford was in the little Y boat off the top of the Aran, and he was just there in the water, and we grabbed him out and pulled him on board. And he was a he was a fair old unit. He took a bit of getting on board, um, and yeah, he was poorly. And you know, and it, and all the all the senior crew in them days were they were kind of more surprised than I was because they were used to being like you know this sort of false alarm with good intent type of things, and and this one happened to be genuine. The Ice Prince was a, a, a big job. Um, that was a uh, timber carrying vessel um, whose timber got wet one side, all the covers come off, massive list um, to a port side, and then started to flood the engine room uh, in danger of capsize. It is up there and amongst some of the shacks that get get brought up all the time. And I think that's partly because there hasn't been a lot since, really. Um, in some respects, it's kind of one of those jobs that it doesn't come back to haunt me, but it always gets raised up as if it's the only thing I've ever done um, because there hasn't been anything kind of big since. Um, but, you know, it was a big job in its day and it was it was exciting to test yourself. I'm really lucky that within my career, I managed to get probably one of those jobs that every coxswain sits in the boathouse wait, thinking he's going to get and waiting for, really. We went out, nines, tens, middle of the night. Um, helicopter took off um, 12 of the people on board and then we ended up taking a further eight off the stern of the vessel um, before she capsized and sank. So it was a, it was a big rescue on a, on a really horrible night. To get the people off, it was, um, you were looking at about 50, 55 approaches over, over an hour of of coming in, trying to get the the levels right, and and trying to get the people to commit to to coming, you know, jumping across from one boat to another. So it was a it was a it, it was a big undertaking. And then what you know when when one went wrong and one ended up in the water, and and then trying to you know get the other guys to then actually commit after that point was it just added to the to the the difficulty as you know a couple of times the boat was in the right place but they they wouldn't let go um so it became probably more difficult after the first two or three that we we had taken off um but it, you know it, it, it yeah it all worked out in the end when you are on the flying bridge and, and you're in command of that vessel and you're trying to do something which is completely you know out there um and something you've not done before it is you have got the the vision is huge you know so you've got the perspective of everything you can see the ship you can see the person you're trying to rescue you can see your crew you can see the waves so all of those things are coming they're only focused on one thing and looking down with the searchlight with daryl next to me and you it was like you know when they're reaching their hands out 
stretching their arms out to grab hold of somebody off a boat. There's, there's kind of that, there's something quite romantic and traditional and that whole thing of helping fellow seamen and all that. It's weird looking at it. It was, it was kind of really surreal type of, 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 of thing going on. And it was so dangerous, but it looked so elegant as well. You know, you're looking at these blokes, and it's all like, oh, yeah, it's me on, come and grab hold of it, it's all going to be okay. And it couldn't have been, you know, it couldn't have been any more dangerous if you tried, but it, it didn't seem like that. It just seemed, here you go, come on, come aboard. It's a really weird feeling, yeah, really strange. I got the silver medal, which was which was great. The crew all got vellums. Um it was a, I mean, it was a great time yeah, for us as a station. I was very mindful that there was people left behind, um, which, again, is always awkward. It's one of those worst jobs as a coxswain, picking your crew. Um, there was a massive amount of press and, and, and stuff on the guys who had done the job. But, you know, we, we, we got through all of that. Then the Pride of Britain thing came up, which, again, was really special. That was really nice. Um and we got voted by the public, which was which was lovely. So we went 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 up to got that, um, and it was Gordon Brown who was the prime minister at the time. So he gave us the award. Then we went to the ten ten Downing Street, had a look around there, and then later on there was quite a lot of other sort of maritime organisations awards for for particular jobs and things that had happened, um, which I went with Mike Velasco to three other events, which which gave me various different awards um, from different organisations, including International Maritime Organisation in London, which was a privilege to go to. And to be honest, it's 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 I, I'm not I'm not that comfortable. I, you know, it for me it's 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 very you're singled out, um, and I guess you've always got a, you you know you do get singled out, of course you do, because for good or bad, you know, it could have gone horribly wrong and you, you know, you, you, you singled out for the wrong reason. So I, I, it's, it's one you've got to take it on the, you've got to take it on the chin. It's, it's, you know, you, you went out and did the job. I know I'm the coxswain, um, but it is difficult when you, you know, when I believe, you know, your crew, uh, uh, would, would, their job was just as important as my job. But I guess when, sensible people like Mike Velasco explain it to you about, you know, that you're in command, you you know, your decisions are, are what kept them safe and all of these other things. It, it is it's it is kind of hard to put a balance on it and keep a keep it on an even keel. Twenty eighteen, yeah. That was a bit weird. Getting an OBE was kind of something that you know school kid from Brixham who wasn't very good at school is not going to get an OBE is he that happens to other people and stuff so that was a really strange time for me again it was lovely and it was a great honour I didn't believe it when it came I, I, my wife brought it down I was down here down to my house wife said you got a letter here from um, from the I think it comes from the palace like or government or something and it and she brought it down, we opened it, went over the cafe, over over the breakwater, and we sat in there, and she opened up this thing, we had a look at it, and I was nah. And they wanted your details, and they wanted you to, to confirm that you wanted it, and they were asking for, like, personal, I said, nah, see, look, you're going to give all these details once, someone's going to empty your bank account or something, and I said, like, no, I'm not having none of this. So I didn't take any notice of it, chucked it on the table at home, and then, I don't know, about a week went by, and I thought, 
should I really check? And the only person I knew that received one was Dave Ann. And it says on it, you're not meant to tell anyone, but it had like two or three days left to go where you've got to send this form back. I thought, I'd better check. So I rang up Dave Ann and said, Dave, can you come? He lived two doors away from me. I said, Dave, can you come down and have a look at this letter I've got? He went, yeah, righto. And I said, Dave, what's this? Is this real or not? He went, yeah, of course it's real. Why didn't you send it back? I went, well, I, th- I don't know. I thought it was a bit of a con. I thought it was somebody was like trying to fleece me. He went, no, send it back. How long have you got left? I went, oh, it runs out in three days. So I sent it back and um, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. And it, I mean, it was lovely. I mean, it was. And it was kind of, it was really nice for the wife and the kids, to, you know, both my boys to come. Um, I mean, there's a huge amount of press around it. I, I know the day it goes out in uh, some London Gazette or something in the evening and me and my wife were sat up in bed because still up to that point, it, I didn't, you still don't believe it's real until it gets printed in this Gazette and we it comes out at midnight and we were both sat up in bed watching TV online waiting for it to come out and then we're looking through all these names of people that have won awards that year trying to find your name and it didn't have a better order you think it would be but it wouldn't and you're going down through it and i was like oh god it is really there hello I'm Tom McGuire from Lockery Lifeboat Station. You've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.